On this episode of ACA Education, Justin speaks with Jacob Berglund of Florida International University on navigating your way teaching in a pandemic. Jacob provides some suggestions for how to handle your remote learning and offers some technology tips along the way. Let's get ready. It's time for some ACA Education. And hey everybody, this is Justin Glodish and welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. This is episode nine and today I have Dr. Jake Berglund. He's an assistant professor of choral music education at Florida International University in Miami, Florida. And before entering academia, he taught middle and high school choir for six years in Michigan. In college, Jake was music director for his chapter of Phi Mu Alpha Symphonia, and he and some friends put together a contemporary acapella group called Five Plus One. And he wanted me to let you know that this was back in the download and transcribe the Straight No Chaser songs from Napster days. See, I was more of a LimeWire guy myself, and I think that's why our our whole network went down in college. <laughs> but uh, Dr. Jake, uh, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. Thanks. It's good to have me. Uh, uh, you know, feel free to make that be the last time you, you uh, say doctor. I, I'm not one of those people that gets too too uh, too fancy about it. But uh, but that's fair. yeah, it's great to uh, it's great to be here. And uh, yeah, we can have a, a Napster and LimeWire uh, fight fight some other day. Fair enough. Uh, you know, I actually, uh, full disclosure here, um, one of the things that I recognize your name from is, um, and this is like me being nerdy, is I saw an ACDA article, um, a Coral Journal article a couple of years ago that you wrote, and there was actually a reference to an article I had written a couple of years prior about vocal percussion and contemporary choral music, yeah. and uh, your article, Beyond the Repertoire, Incorporating Contemporary Acapella, that's how I was like, I recognize that name, and I'm, uh, so I'm, I'm finally glad to be able to talk to you face to face and on this podcast. Yeah, that's great. So um, I want to start with, uh, you know, you now teach college, and you're down in Florida, and you know this pandemic has kind of been kind of outrageous uh, from state to state. And I'm just curious, how are you handling things? How is FIU handling things um, right now? We are uh, almost fully virtual right now. Um, FIU is a big school of about 54,000 students, but they're, it's primarily a commuter school. You know, and we, everybody lives within the, you know, the county or the, the neighboring county. Um, there, are, there are maybe three or 4,000 students that live on campus. So a lot of them are you know, taking classes uh, either in person or online you know, from their dorm rooms, that kind of thing. Um, so when I teach, I do have a couple of students who, you know, I can tell they're in like a library, that kind of thing with their mask on. But for the most part, students are at home. I'm teaching at home, locked in my bedroom with my little, uh, recording setup with my, it it keeps getting more and more involved every week. You know, like the first week I added a light, the next, last week I just used a green screen to like, you know, technology just, you know, gets, uh, fun to play around with. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're sort of fully virtual right now, which is kind of challenging um, 
mostly because we're a teacher preparation school, right? Like I, that's my job as choral music educator, uh, education professor is to kind of train like the next generation of music teachers. So we're having them kind of be thinking about and exploring these, like, what would you do if this was your, you know, classroom kind of stuff. Um, my choral folks, uh, I, I'll, I'll teach that class in the spring, the choral, the choral methods class, where we work a lot about like choral rehearsal techniques and, you know, hopefully get them a chance to actually be working with a school somewhere. But right now it's just right. not a, not the reality that we're in. We're kind of fully yeah. virtual from the high school kids all the way up to college for the most part. You know, and I agree with you there how, you know, you're basically telling these students, what if your situation was like this? You know, I know at least for you and I, we weren't necessarily prepared for this. And now you're teaching this next generation that this is potentially what could happen down the road at some point with something else that might happen years from now. So, um, but I agree with you that it's challenging. You know, we just started school, you know, a couple weeks ago and we have, uh, students that are meeting us online, but also sitting in front of us at the same time. So it, it can be very challenging. Um, have you found that um, your students respond well to the virtual um, program or is it like kind of half and half or is it a struggle? Yeah, it's uh, some people are like, you know, it's fine. Uh, FIU is already doing quite a bit of online learning and you have students that, you know, our provost famously has the story there where he has two, he had two students, two, his two, his two children both went through uh, FIU, got their, you know, degree, I guess, if you're the provost, you have to, you know, your kids have to go to that school. Um, and one took mostly on campus classes and one lived in the dorms was on campus, but almost exclusively took online classes because it just like was more his speed. Right. So I feel like, especially if I'm able to give an engaging kind of presentation and involve students with, you know, the breakout rooms and all the trick, the tricks and tips that we might use, um, I think it's going pretty well. There are certainly students that would love to be just in having that face-to-face -face contact, that in-person contact, um, especially when we get into like teaching, uh, teaching tips and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it, it, I don't, I'm not sure if it's better to be at home looking at a computer screen with no mask on than to be trying to be in the room with each other with a mask on and social distancing and all that kind of things. So, um, but yeah, it is, it's kind of a split. I think some kids are sort of like all totally okay with just, Hey, I get to sit at home and I can go to my fridge whenever I want to. And I don't have to worry about the commute to campus and those sorts of things, right. you know? Um, and you know, with the whole technology aspect, I know that um, you had mentioned to me previously that when you worked in Michigan, you, you developed a lot of different, um, aspects of your general music program incorporating technology and you know technology has really shifted over the past five ten years there's so many new programs out there now um and i'm not sure if you utilize them with your um choral uh your college kids but um do you have any tips or any like uh programs that stand out um technology wise for some someone like me a middle school educator looking to you know teach this hybrid model of learning and giving different um, 
stylized, you know, learning examples for our students to learn different musical concepts. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, you know, it's, it's so hard to keep up with, uh, you know, to be on the kind of front line of those things, especially the kind of the older you get, it feels like, you know, the, the, the harder it is. I, uh, when I was, before I started my PhD, when I was teaching, I, the school I was at was, was a technology magnet school. So we just like had access to tech that you might not have in other schools. And, and this, the principal walked up to me in one day and said, Hey, we've got 30 iMac computers. Do you want them? Wow. You know? <laughs> and it was sort of sure. like, <laughs> sure. Okay. You know? And then that's, it's kind of started a life of just being very kind of seat, seat of your pants with, you know, saying, yes, of course. Great. We'll figure out how to make them work. So, you know, it's always kind of like figuring out the, the best way to use things. Um, it, I actually taught a lesson just this morning with my, with my uh, undergrads, just focusing on, we talked a lot about like technology that can enhance the music classroom. Um, but what, instead of it turning into a lecture about like, here's how to use Kahoot or here's how to use uh, uh, Quizlet to assess your students, that kind of thing, uh, where you're like, talking about how to set up a login and you know those sorts of step-by-step -step things I you know I think it could become more about like what what's the intent right like there's so many options exactly um you know why am I using this technology I mean we're at a point right now where we kind of just have to right like students mm -hmm. are staring at a computer screen all along and so you look at people that are using google classroom really effectively uh, to kind of collect everything together, you know, the Bitmoji classrooms and all those sorts of things. Um, but, you know, there's just, there's so many things, a lot of things people probably familiar with, you know, Sight Reading Factory, Smart Music, you know, those sorts of things. Um, from a vocal perspective, I think that, um, I, I know I see you sometimes uh, on the uh, choir director Facebook pages, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the, the, question that seems to be on everyone's mind you know all all day long day after day is how do i do a head in the box video you know how yep, do i do a the, virtual choir video i need to do a virtual oh, yep. choir video over and over and over and over and over there's some very contentious discussion on those too <laughs> yeah yeah uh i've noticed ever since everything kind of shut down back in march it's, there's there's like two sides to that it's uh it's very interesting to read some of those comments yeah like i will never do a virtual choir. This is not what I signed up for. All the way from, again, people that kind of embrace it and realize that this is what the reality is right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, I personally, if you're asking my opinion about singing in, singing in person, like I get nervous. I don't know, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, yes, we look at the studies that have come out over the summer and we see that there is like a safe-ish way to do things, you know? And, and hopefully right. the people that are singing in person are following all those recommendations, you know, outdoors if possible and no longer than 30 minutes and wearing a mask and social distancing and all of those sorts of things. But, um, but again, it's like, what can I do to do something a little bit differently than what I'm used to that's still musically valuable, that's still going to be a draw for my students, that's still going to kind of give them a, a, a process that's interesting and a product that looks, you know, that's fun at the end, you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, obviously there's like the acapella app seems to be one that people have really been using a lot. Um, yep. It seems to be pretty, um, pretty intuitive. Uh, students don't have to really like pay anything for it, you know, and you can collect a certain right. amount. Um, there's a program called, uh, there's a web-based multi-track called Upbeat as well. 
you know, obviously there's, there's also kind of like hardware based things like the, the jam Kazam boxes that, that people are really trying to figure out, you know, is this a thing that I can make work? But again, then you're talking about like access to technology, right? I mean, right. Um, I know that my students, even my undergrads, there's a very wide range of connectivity of access to devices. I mean, most of them have a phone, right? And you can probably mm-hmm. expect that a high schooler probably has a phone, but the younger right. you get, the less likely. I mean, I have a seven-year-old. I don't know when he'll get a cell phone, but I don't know. <laughs> it's not right now, you know? Right, So, exactly. um, yeah, I think that there there is a lot there, but again, I think it just becomes more about like, what is it that I am looking for? And then just, yeah, being a good student yourself right? Being able mm-hmm. to take a weekend, dive into a tutorial video on YouTube oh, and yeah. figure things out. I mean, if you find something, I guarantee there's a YouTube video <laughs> that will teach you how to use it. You know, there's probably a hundred, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah, I think that's what I kind of focus on is like thinking about, um, thinking about why you're using it, but also thinking about like, what are the, what are the ramifications for your students, right? What are your students going to need? What are your students going to take away from it? How much instructional right. time are you going to waste in class trying to explain how the students are, okay, now here's what, how you download and this is, you're going to click. And it can be really valuable to spend that time because then, you know, you, but you know, I mean, as a teacher, how long it's going to take right. to get 20 or 30 or 50 or a hundred kids to all download the same app on their phone and make mm-hmm. sure that that all comes in, you know, that it gets saved in the right way that the, you know, the excerpt that you're singing is from this measure to this measure. I mean, there's a lot to think about, right? Right. It's, it's definitely like you brought up the fact that basically like it's an equity issue, you know, you know, some students you know, can't afford, you know, certain things uh, can't afford the apps or don't have phones, you know um, I'm happy that where I work and I'm thankful for that, where I work, we have a one-to-one Chromebook initiative, mm-hmm. um, which had to kind of like speed up to make sure that cause they were rolling it out year by year, but now, every student in the district has a Chromebook, um, which they're not cheap, you know? Um, but then like, there's those different programs you can have out there. And, uh, you had made mention of singing outside and, you know, my colleagues and I, we've talked about outdoor performances or, you know, outdoors 12 feet apart, you know, spray, spray painted circles in the softball field, you know, um, because with the hybrid model, literally 50% of our kids, are in school every day. Actually, it's less than that because 300 of them decided to say, "Never mind, stay online the whole time." You know, um, so you, maybe you're getting like 10, 11 kids, 12 feet apart outside, which is a nice, nice number. But you really have to adapt now. As and and I have sixth graders, and this is the f- like these past couple of days have been their first time actually in this building that we're in. So they're they're adapting to becoming part of a new building completely new set of teachers and you kind of have to really take a step back and say you know the choral aspect might have to be put on hold for a little bit so you know i i use flipgrid um and i don't and flipgrid has become you know a savior for me saving grace uh giving them singing assignments and have them recording themselves you know 30 seconds 45 seconds snippets of themselves giving a performance so i can at least assess them on an individual basis and then Hopefully once this dissipates, now we have, I have something to kind of springboard off of. Yeah. I think those things, you know, uh, I, 
and you can do those in person too. I saw a really interesting uh, a choir director one time had a just a personal video of uh, uh, audio recorder, and they, right. so we would take them down the row of a section, you know, while they were singing. Let's, okay, and you'd have everyone singing uh, the the excerpt or you know whatever couple measures, and they would just you know kid by kid by kid would hit the record button. Um, you know, those ways of using technology, whether we're in a pandemic space or not to make your mm -hmm. job easier, right? So, and, and, and it's not only about ease, it's about now I'm actually doing the thing that I'm getting paid to do, right? Which is like improve right. and assess everybody's voices. Like obviously singing in a big group is important. And a lot of times we get so focused on the end product, but I always wonder like, do you really know how like Timmy in the back row, how he sang at the concert? Like, you know, or do you just, he was yeah. there and we all sounded fine, you know? So yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, uh, Flipgrid's great. We've been using that a lot, just kind of showing the the undergrads who are going to be teachers, like, here's how you can use that. You, here's how to use it for sight reading. Here's how to use it for, you know, an excerpt, kind of see how you're doing, spot check, you know, those sorts of things. Absolutely. Um, now, in terms of like branching out in education, you've done a lot of, you know, conferences, speaking at um, different various um, places, but you also do a few things educational-wise, um, for you know other people some organizations out there um could you like talk about some of the, like educational initiatives that you kind of push out that aren't necessarily a part of fiu but more of like the broader acapella community yeah uh, so it, it was it's funny i um you know when i was doing uh acapella in my undergrad uh it was just kind of really hey let's get around get together let's sing some songs well we did some concerts that kind of thing but we and this was this was kind of that first heyday where the internet kind of that big boom once the once the ease of the internet you know this was uh you know the the late 90s so you know it, i guess the boom started in or the early 90s and kind of increased through then um but we didn't compete we didn't do you know iccas all that kind of thing so i kind of missed a a, a portion of the community became a teacher mm -hmm. and then when i was at northwestern doing my phd uh Northwestern has like basically like an Ivy League feel in terms of the acapella groups. It's, it, it, it's campus of only about 10,000 people, but there's 14 acapella groups. There's actually more right. people doing acapella on campus than doing the uh, signed up for a credit choir classes by about oh, wow. a dozen or so people, you know, depending <laughs> on the semester. Um, right. So uh, you know, we do research and one of the things that I was interested in is just kind of being more involved in acapella. And um, so I did a study that then, you know, kind of became the basis for this thing you read in the Coral Journal, which was thank you for, you know, being a, one of the readers. I don't, it's always yeah, funny. You never absolutely. know how many people read these things. Um, uh, where I spent some time with one of the acapella groups, actually the all-female acapella or all, I guess they would at this point, they would say all-female identifying acapella group mm -hmm. uh, on campus. And again, they weren't a competitive group. They were just kind of in it to have fun. And I was really struck by uh, how they, especially as a choir director, how they didn't really need me, right? Like if I was, right. you know, they didn't have anybody like me. They didn't have an adult telling them what to do, choosing their, their repertoire, telling them when the notes were right and wrong. You know, they all, you know, even things like planning when their concerts were going to be, what, figuring out the advertisements for the concerts. So um, it was just really interesting to think about that, uh, 
you know, I think we say it a lot as a as teachers, you know, we're, we're trying to train people so that they can make music outside of, you know, without, without needing us once they graduate. Absolutely. Right. But I wonder so, how often it happens, that kind of thing. So doing that, doing some of the, uh, uh, you know, presentations and that sort of thing, then uh, it, an opportunity popped up to be, uh, to kind of help with some of the education things going on at, at CASA. And so okay. it's been really interesting uh, to do that for a little, for just shy of two years now. Um, and again, to kind of get into that space, a space that I wasn't really in when I was doing acapella, uh, to kind of get into that space. Uh, and it's been really cool to, uh, to, to do, to, to help that organization a bit as well. Great. And, you know, you had mentioned that, you know, it seems like a lot of these collegiate groups are self-sufficient, you know, they maybe have an advisor that kind of just pops in once in a while. Um, but really they're, you know, you think about it, you know, I was a music education major and, and I was in my collegiate acapella group. And um, a lot of the stuff that I learned from my peers singing in that group, I, I kind of have now utilized within my educational career because we were all attempting to, we were all a music education majors. So it was kind of that extra practice that we were getting from our professors that we were applying in practice with each other. But um, one of the things that I'm curious, you know, because you teach students at FIU is um, the difference between how, what your role is in maybe your classes and rehearsals versus the students' roles. So could you talk about like what you believe the students' voices role should be versus maybe you as the educator? Yeah, this comes up a lot. I think when people, uh, especially in acapella, you know, because those, we see the way that people do things in college or we had those experiences in college that were very kind of, you know, student-led, student, student -led, you know, peer-led. And then right. we want to try to figure out how to bring that into this, you know, the choral space a lot, because a lot of times it's a very teacher focused activity, right? Uh, where right. a lot of the decisions come from the, the podium, like literally the, the center of the, you know, the room a lot of times. Um, so for me, I think it, it comes down to teaching independence. You know, I think a lot of times people will say, okay, well, fine, you want to do an acapella song, do an acapella song. You know, and you might find a few folk in your choir that could do that, that already just happen to have the skills of uh, arranging or the skills of, you know, uh, rehearsal techniques or things like uh, even just like interpersonal skills to be able right. to put something together. But probably you're setting them up for, for failure, right? You're setting them up to kind of confirm your beliefs maybe about, you know, about that sometimes I think. And maybe that's when you throw people to the wolves. It can be a right. good activity to kind of push somebody off the deep end. But uh, the most successful programs that I've seen that still get that feel where by the time the kids are, have spent some time in the program, you know, a couple of years, that kind of thing, um, you know, they're really, uh, purposeful over the course of a year to, you know, if you were to spend day one, week one, month one, whatever the case may be, and watch that rehearsal, even though they're doing acapella, you know, uh, contemporary acapella pieces, maybe something that one of the kids in the class arranged, it's still going to probably feel a lot like a teacher led kind of a thing, right? Because this is a ninth grader, right. or this is a middle schooler, or whatever the case may be. But if you then zoom out to the end of the year, they've so slowly gotten to the point. And there was a choir director in Illinois who, who, who uh, does a lot of great uh, acapella stuff. And by the end of the year, he's in his office. He's 
checking emails. And he'll peek his head out and be like, uh, you might want to check, you know, there's still some amount he's paying attention, but they're running themselves. They're, um, they're kind of getting things going. So like, how do you structure your year so that you can step further and further back as the year goes on? I think it's, Mm -hmm. you know, playing to the strengths of the students, right? Like one of the things that I thought was the most interesting spending time with the, with the, uh, they're called significant others at Northwestern was that they, um, everybody, almost everybody had a role, right? There was 16 or so people in the group and almost everybody, 12 or so had some job, right? right? From the president, from the music director, kind of like the more, I guess you might say more important or on a hierarchy level kind of a job down, down to like, I am the one that is in charge of our social media. I am right. the one that does the uh the picks the costumes or does the programs or whatever the case may be right so i think that there's a whole spectrum of ways that you can get people involved and often what happens in a choir room is we say you're the officers and you're the four people out of 60 who have some amount of like leadership and that's going to be you for the whole year and then next year we'll vote for four more people, right? right? And that's not exactly the kind of thing that's happening once people get to college and do an, you know, right. and, and are in an acapella group, as you know. So thinking about ways to rotate the section leaders or ways to identify a lot more jobs for people to do, I think can be a really important way to get more buy-in with the students and not have to make your job so easy i always got so stressed on concert days because my yeah. students would be running around and you know doing mm-hmm. things that students did and i would just be like okay well the piano needs to be over here and i need to change and this person has a solo but they're not here yet and all of those sorts right. of things and i realized that i probably could have micromanaged that a little bit beforehand by assigning some more leadership among the group and having to mm-hmm. take some of those things off my plate yeah, I think you and I are the same person there because <laughs> I can I, I no matter how much planning would go in, inevitably yep. it would still just be like, ah, you know, just the stress level gets like so high every. I agree, yeah. and you know, if I feel you know you hit the nail on the head there that if you have more students involved in some aspect of it that maybe not even is not even musical, that they take more ownership of the group there and they feel. I mean, I think for them, they feel a sense of accomplishment knowing that they, they contributed somehow to the success of that group. You know, I know that when I was in uh, high school, you know, we had, you know, your band president, your chorus president and secretaries and everything kind of ran through them. And then it became, it came like a weird hierarchy, like, like, you know, and people looked at you differently because you held a position as opposed to, you know, each one kind of sharing the wealth, you know, so and I, I see it more now that there's more of the sharing the wealth to try and get as many people um, contributing and being involved. It's, it's like that old thing where you have the group project in class, you got the one kid who does it all. And then at the other end, you got the one kid who just puts his name on it or puts her name on it and says, Yep, I helped, you know, so um, we want to stray away from that and get into more of the let's all contribute some in some fashion. Yeah, I think that it would be, uh, you know, if a, if a student's in my high school choir program 
over the course of four years and they haven't done some sort of, if I haven't given them some opportunity to show their strengths in that kind of mm -hmm. a way and like a leadership way of some way or another, it's more like an, a failure on my end, like a reflection of, of, of me. Right. Uh, right. you know, it's all, it's already so like, it's a pyramid. If you look at like music participation in the United States, right. We have like our elementary music programs. Most everybody does some sort of music. It might not be singing, but it's going to be like, you go to music class every Monday or right. something like that. Middle school, you get to choose whether you do it or not. And everybody's people start to fall off in the high school. Like people start to fall off, you know, again, and you have yep. people, you know, if, if I'm identifying only a few more people that are going to be the leadership people in that, in that choir, then those are mm -hmm. probably going to be the kids that go to music school. It's just going to be those couple of kids. And then again, we just have this like, pyramid that 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 people are falling off on the sides um and maybe they maybe they join an acapella group because they yeah. loved singing and that sort of thing um but even with the girls with with the significant others i asked them like how many of you had done like any arranging in college mm -hmm. in high school and there was only one out of 16 that had said like yeah i did my choir director we did some arranging stuff you know so right um all of that kind of stuff. Give kids a chance to stand up in front of the choir and say, I think this note was wrong here. Here's how to fix it. All of that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have my high school colleague, actually, uh, one of the things I love that she does with her acapella group there is um, she basically has them kind of in four groups. Um, you have a co-ed group um, that does one full group number, and then she'll split them in half, um, regardless of voicing and put the students in charge of using the music theory skills that they learned in the music theory and AP music theory classes, uh, picking apart pop songs and creating their own arrangements and having them facilitate the rehearsals while she kind of is the, the guide on the side, mm -hmm. if, as, if you will. And uh, another buddy of mine who has his own, you know, male identifying high school group and female identifying high school group, one of his students actually became music director from you know, in his collegiate group right now. And he's been arranging like 90% of the arrangements for that collegiate group because he got that experience in high school. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm using the term, terms like female identifying, male identifying. You had mentioned it earlier and we're seeing a lot more of that these days. You know, in when I was in college, you know, I was in, you know, early 2000s, I was in the SUNY Potsdam pointer counts, which was, you know, their tag at that point was all male, all the time, all male acapella all the time. Um, and now they've, uh, they were at one point, you know, in the past couple of years, male identifying. And this year, actually, because I keep up with them, you know, being an alum and whatnot, um, their, their first female um, member was introduced to the group. And it's, it's more vocal range based as opposed to um, gender based. And I'm wondering, did you find any of that in your research? And do you see that a lot more now um, as, as, you know, gender roles are being more um, kind of pushed aside, I, I guess, at this point? Do you see that more often now? Yeah, I mean, it, it's another thing kind of like, it, it, this is a weird connection to make, but earlier on, I mentioned having, being thrown a bunch of computers and, and saying like, okay, sure, we'll make it work. Um, in mm -hmm. 2011, I had just started my master's at the University of Michigan, and I had a couple of trans students who came up to me and said, hey, I want, I, my name is Bill, and I want to mm -hmm. sing tenor. And uh, I said, okay, you know, we'll make it work. You know, I didn't, I guess, maybe know any better, you could say, or whatever the case may be. Maybe if I had been someone who had 
you know, more stuck in my ways. I'd been teaching for longer or whatever, whatever the case was. So it was really interesting, uh, to, to work with, uh, to work with those students and kind of explore what it was like. And I do think, again, it's another example where collegiate acapella is doing a lot of things, uh, in a, you know, maybe tackling this, this issue in a, you know, a more fleshed out way, right? You have groups like the Whiff and Poofs. I mean, this is 150 year old, uh, I guess not 150 years old, but you know, they've been, they're, they're, old. they're old, right? They, they've been around <laughs> for a long time, that group. Right. And they, you know, I think maybe it was 2018 where they said like, we are a TTBB group. We are not a male group. Um, and yeah, I think that maybe a year ago they they auditioned their, their first their first female identifying uh, uh, person who just happens to sing the high tenor part um, mm-hmm. you know that kind of a thing I think that um, there there are kind of multiple things going on when you're talking about gender and choir right like you do right. have like the physical aspect of singing and mm-hmm. um, and it gets a little complicated and people have really strong opinions. I've always found that the middle spaces between the alto and the tenor, there's a, there's a lot of room for flexibility that we might not think, right? Like if you think about right. the range of a tenor part in a mm-hmm. standard choral tune and the range of an alto part, they're, they're pretty overlapping, right? So right. there is a lot mm-hmm. of overlapping space. Maybe you might need to be a little bit creative with the arranging. So there is like a physical vocal production side of things also we're singing songs with words right right so that becomes the other part of it too is like what are the texts that we sing saying right and often you know in in those spaces where you have a, a, a girls only in quotation marks group or a boys only group the kind of standard mm-hmm. repertoire is really gendered right you have like yeah i love my little pretty flowers on one mm-hmm. end, you know, this really beautiful music and I'm not maligning it. A lot of it is really beautiful. And then I'm a drunken sea pirate for some reason is like the common, you know, yeah, kind of CTB kind of, kind of songs a lot. So they're, and they're always like, they're always like energetic and shouty. Yeah. I find too. Yeah, there's like... <laughs> lot, vocal production is not, you know, the girls are working on their beautiful legato vocal, vocal lines mm-hmm. and actually improving their voices. The boys are doing things that are loud and brash and people laugh at and people actually end up liking more than what the girls are doing. It's a very right. weird dynamic. So I think that, um, I think you're starting to see composers that are being intentional with, you know, having pieces that uh, explore the, it's weird to talk in these like stereotypical ways, but explore the more feminine side for the boys to sing about, you know, love or whatever. Um, right. Uh, I, it, it, there's a, again, a cappella example, the um, Ithaca Capella just released an yeah. album that explores a lot of that, that they were very intentional and uh, they worked with my friend, Brian, who, uh, uh, as they put that album together and they were really kind of trying to make a, a, a statement about like the um, the breadth of what it means to be kind of like a man in the world and like the, the, mm-hmm. the range of emotions that some that we do express and some that we don't more, uh, you know, as often and those sorts of things. And it's a really well sung and really beautiful kind of statement that they made. Um, so I think we can take a lot of, um, a lot of you know 
hints from, again, from the collegiate acapella space in terms of how a lot of them are handling, handling gender, right? Right. Absolutely. And I know for me, um, as a middle school educator, um, and I had this conversation, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago in another podcast, where, um, you know, middle school is partly a time where a lot of my students um, are starting to, you know, explore and kind of really come into their own. Um, and, you know, I'm, last year, actually, uh, my middle school group, um, you know, we had your SAB, it was basically like an SAB type group. But my lowest singer, my lowest baritone was female. And she was like rock solid and she held it down. And, you know, I, I work with our high school students during the musical season. And uh, we did the Music Man this past year, which has a really strong, you know, barbershop quartet in there. And um, one of our trans students was our upper tenor and, you know, held, held that role like very well and sang those notes with conviction, mm. you know. And so while we're seeing a lot more at the collegiate level, it's really... I, I, maybe just because I'm teaching at the middle school level, I'm starting to see more students, you know, really start questioning and, and really exploring who they are when they're in middle school and kind of building up to that as they go to high school. Because, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I think society, you know, has gotten better. Um, and there, but there's still a long way to go. But because I think it has gotten a little bit better, there's more comfort in having that ability to explore. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I kind of wanted to talk about that because at least I know that I've experienced it. And I think that it's, it's kind of trickling down a little bit for these younger yeah, students. I, and I think that's important. I do think it's, cha- I do think it's uh, going in the right, changing in the right direction. I gave, I gave a talk about like ch- tr- working with trans students in choir uh, in Oklahoma, which if you would have asked me five t- years ago, uh, mm-hmm. that would have seemed like maybe a state that wasn't ready to have that conversation. It was a super positive, like very well attended session. Um, you know, I do think that they're, that we're on the right track. And I think that we can really be helpful in the way we frame that as teachers, right? That, that it's, that it is the time for exploration. Like no one, I'm sorry, but no one is a soprano and only a soprano when they are a a fourth grader or a sixth grader, or honestly Mm -hmm. a ninth grader. You know, I, I, I use this, I use this experience that I'm sure we've all had, or we know somebody who's had where, you know, you maybe you were in the alto section when you were in high school choir and often that's because you're a good note reader you know you can actually read music and so you get to or you have a good ear for harmony or whatever the case is so you get put in the alto section and you go to college and uh your college voice teacher maybe it's the first time you've ever had a voice lesson says honey you're a colorator or soprano i don't know who told Mm -hmm. you you were an alto you know and then there's this like identity crisis where there's like, oh, I am not a soprano, how dare you? And you can think about all of the stereotypes for all of the voice parts. It's fun, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of ridiculous, right? Like, yeah. again, there's all of this overlap between the voice parts. And so honestly, things like, again, vocally being flexible and giving people chances to sing different parts. Um, mm-hmm. And then also being flexible with things like, standing position things like um the uniforms we wear which are often very gendered you know having that third option or 
thinking of options that aren't so gendered, you know, uh, middle schools are doing great with this because they're just like, what's the easiest thing? Okay, polo and, a, and khakis, and that's our uniform, you know, not right. like tuxes for the guys and long flowy dresses for the girls and all of that kind of stuff. Um, right. I think that if you can set up that flexibility in the classroom and know that it's a place for experimentation, and I mean experimentation like very broadly, right? Like experimentation in rehearsal, experimentation when we're doing uh, maybe an arranging thing or anything like that, then I right. think it makes students more feel more comfortable. And whether or not they end up uh, identifying as transgender or, 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 or whatever the case may be, um, at least you've set up a space where they can kind of explore those things. And again, become a stronger musician because they weren't always stuck on the soprano part, singing the melody for their whole seven years of middle school and high school choir. And then they don't, you know, or, or vice versa, you know, only ever sung the tenor part, only ever sung the bass part, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And flexibility is key. Um, I agree. Um, so I have one last question before, uh, before we go and it's really just, like looking into the future now, you know, especially with the, with everything going on, um, what for you, maybe with your students and maybe some words of wisdom to the rest of us educators out there, um, do you, uh, what do you foresee, you know, your, your work with your students being like in the near future? Um, what are you hoping to get out of the other end of COVID-19? You know, what are you hoping to get out of that? Yeah, for me, a lot of questions about this, whether it be technology, whether it be, uh, you know, even even gender and race and things like that, I think that, um, or if you're talking about participation, where my head normally goes is like, how how are we, when are we focusing on the product, the final product, and when are we focusing on the process that got us to right. that final product? And so I I think that that's relevant now when we're looking at, um, not even being in the same room as each other, you know, and having to think of what, what, how the product is going to change and what's the process to get there. But I think that that's something that I really try to focus um, on with my students. Again, it's something that is a lot of times really great in the collegiate space where the process sometimes becomes more important than the product, you know, the final, mm -hmm. we're going to go sing a gig and maybe it was good and maybe it wasn't, but you know what, we're going to have nine hours of rehearsal next week because we just like to be around each other, you know? Right. And I think that um, I'd love to see a space where we are kind of transitioning toward not always being so focused on the perfection of a final product, right. you know, where we can really enjoy the process of music making together. Maybe that means, a lot of singing, but maybe it means cutting a piece so that we can work on composing an original piece as a choir or do arranging something off of the radio that the students really like and doing that as a group. You know, I have a friend right. who uh, teaches middle school choir in Michigan and she's doing things with 50 and 60 kids in the room where they're arranging together, where they're, you know, doing things like that. And, you know, if our process, the other piece of it is, if your process is excluding people, then that's something that needs to be addressed, right? If your process right. gets to the point where my top group in my high school, that's the kids I really like the most, there's only 12 people, 
you know, right. then where is everybody else? I right. think that's a big, and who are those 12 people, right? Is that, exactly. <laughs> is that 12, you know, 12 kids that all look the same? Is that 12 kids that all come from the same background? Is that 12 kids that look like the rest of your school, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that for me, it's like being, thinking more thoughtfully about how do we get to that final product? You know, what's, where's the value on the steps along the way? Yeah. And, you know, especially with the, the way that we're all teaching right now, the process is the biggest thing. And, you know, when we preach the process, then the product, you know, should come out as, as close to perfect as possible, you know, and I think society focuses so much on perfection and that that's where our, like, at least knowing my students, that's where some of the brains go. It's like, if it's not perfect the first time, like we're already focusing on final product. We're never focusing on the process to get there. So I think preaching practice makes the product that much stronger. Yeah. And yeah, so uh, Jake Berglund, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the Aka Education Podcast. And um, we'll be right back. And welcome back to the Aka Education Podcast. This week's mailbag is a little bit different. I'm calling out all the teachers out there, music teachers, science teachers, whatever you teach. I want you to contact me and tell me how your new school year is going. It's very different this year and I would love to hear how you're managing your time and how you're managing working with your students this year. I would love to share your stories on this podcast. So please send me an audio recording to akaedpodcast at gmail.com stating who you are, what state you teach in, and how things are going for you. Any story that you want to share is good for this podcast. I look forward to hearing what you have to say, and I look forward to sharing your stories with everyone who listens to the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. That does it for another episode of the Aka Education Podcast. I'd like to thank Dr. Jake Berglund of Florida International University for joining us this week. Be sure to check out the links in our episode description for different resources that we discussed during today's episode. Check us out on social media, Aka Ed Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Be sure if you haven't done so already to subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when a new episode is posted every week. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Music Podcasts, and we're also on Anchor. You can also now check us out on Akaville Radio, akaville.org. And last, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the podcast, be sure to email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Justin Glodish. I'll see you next week.